All right, so let me ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Jeremiah chapter 20. We're, we're actually going to not be there for a few minutes, but that will be the main spot that we land today. Years ago, some missionary friends of ours shared a story with us about their parents who were also missionaries. And they said that um, these friends of ours, he said, when he was a little boy, his parents went to a certain mission field and they served there for seven years. They started a little church. They served there faithfully week in and week out for seven years and they never saw one convert in seven years. This man shared that um, he remembers one day walking one Sunday morning, walking through the, the th thick part of the jungle stuff and, and coming to the little sort of hut that they had put together for their church building. And he said he remembered seeing his dad sitting on the little front step with his head in his hands weeping. Seven years of faithful service, not one visible result. George Barna and Focus on the Family study churches and pastors and trends over the decades. And um, years ago, I put some of these statistics together. And I just wanted to share some of these with you as we begin this morning. Now, this first statistic, I understand, has gone up by about 200, but I was not able to verify that in time. So I'm just going to keep it with the old statistic, which is plenty bad enough. More than 1,500 pastors leave the ministry every month. More than 50% of all pastors are so discouraged that they regularly, regularly consider leaving the ministry. 90% of pastors feel that they are inadequately trained to cope with the demands of ministry. 80% of pastors' wives wish their spouse would choose another profession. 70% of pastors constantly fight depression. 90% said that the ministry was completely different from what they thought it would be before they began. May I submit to you that something is wrong? Something is terribly wrong. And yet, what I see as I move in and out of uh, the lives of people here and elsewhere is that you don't have to be a pastor or a missionary by vocation to experience these kinds of struggles and setbacks and discouragement in life. All you have to be is a follower of Christ. And you will, sooner or later, meet with such overwhelming opposition and obstacles that there will be a time or two in your life, if you live long enough, that you will want to throw in the towel. As you study the lives of believers down through the centuries, you find that the pages of their stories are soaked in tears. They're filled with questions. They're darkened by discouragement and doubts. All of them. All of them. The same is true when you explore the pages of the Bible. Um, God does not hide the failures and struggles and difficulties and challenges of the people in the Bible, which is why I've encouraged you uh, to be very careful referring to certain people as heroes of the faith. 
Because what you're doing is putting them in a separate category from you uh, and makes you feel that you will never, uh, you'll never measure up. And we're all in the same boat in this. You read through the pages of the Bible and you know, the, the, the heartaches and setbacks and disappointments and failures of those who chose to follow God are, are penned there for all of us to see. The Psalms especially are filled with sorrow and pain, with doubt and worry. And the psalmist often sort of calls God into question because he's now not sure about God's love and God's goodness anymore. Thankfully, most of those people found solid ground again. They, they regained their footing. They found their, their renewed purpose in the Lord, and they went on to live lives of faithfulness and fruitfulness for the Lord. But some never did. The discouragement, the doubts, The storms that came their way proved to be too much for them. And sadly, the landscape of history is littered with the wreckage of people who gave up too soon. I will tell you this, as you continue to follow Christ, you are going to face times just like this too. Now, I hope, I hope that we can we can throw off um, some of those statistics that I read earlier. I hope that we can not be part of such horrific statistics in the ministry. But these times are going to come for all of us. And, and knowing that these times are going to come, can I just ask you, what have you intentionally built into your life into your character, into the foundation of your faith that will keep you going when you don't have anything left. That will keep you trusting when your faith is hanging by a thread. That will keep the fire burning in you when there's nothing left but smoldering embers. I trust that uh, today's simple message from Jeremiah will help answer that question for all of us. As we've been going through the life of the prophet Jeremiah now on our journey through the Bible, we saw in chapter 1 that God specifically called him to this. God said, I set you apart before you were born. I've given you this mission. I've assigned this to you. And then he, he said, I've put my words in you to go and take my message to the people of Judah, God's people who were living in rebellion and waywardness. And from the time we began studying Jeremiah in chapter 1, all the way through to where we are now, we've seen that Jeremiah has done and said exactly what God has told him to do and say. He's been 100% faithful so far. For some 20 years now, Jeremiah has been the picture of faithfulness. So naturally, we can assume then that because of his faithfulness, his life is going perfectly. But what you find instead in chapter 20 is a man of God who is broken and defeated and discouraged 
and ready to quit. And I believe we can learn some valuable lessons from this low point in Jeremiah's life. Before we get to chapter 20, I want to look at just a few quick key points along Jeremiah's journey so that we can maybe get an inside scoop on what it was that, that brought him to this place of discouragement and doubt. First of all, we see that as Jeremiah was faithful to the Lord, as he preached the Lord's message, we see that he didn't see any results to his efforts. He saw no results. Look at a a couple examples here. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 23. This is what I commanded them, saying, Obey my voice. God is now speaking to his wayward people in in the nation of Judah. Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. And walk in all the ways that I've commanded you, that it may be well with you. That sounds like a pretty good offer to me. Verse 24, yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but followed the counsels and the dictates of their evil hearts and went backward and not forward. Verse 25, since the day that your fathers, that's your forefathers, came out of the land of Egypt until this day, I have even sent to you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. Yet they did not obey me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. Verse 27, therefore, You shall speak all these words to them. Now, God is speaking now to Jeremiah. You shall speak all these words to them, Jeremiah, but they will not obey you. You shall also call to them, but they will not answer you. This was the assignment that Jeremiah was given. I want you to go, much like Isaiah as well, God said, God said to Isaiah, when you preach my word, the people are going to, uh, their, their ears are going to become more deaf. Their hearts are going to become even harder than they are now. It's a hard calling. And now Jeremiah follows shortly after Isaiah, and he's now sent to these people. And we've seen, we've gone through so many of the prophets already, as we're trying to study the Bible chronologically, we've seen almost all of the prophets already. God has sent person after person after person to call them to come back to him. And the people continue to stiffen their neck. It's just a sign of of rebellion and hardness, unwilling to turn to God. Think about what a hard path this was for Jeremiah to walk. God had told him that even though he preached exactly what God said to preach, no one was going to listen to him. Imagine getting up day after day after day pouring your heart into what God has called you to do and never seeing any results from it. Well, if we've been around church long enough, we don't have to imagine what that's like. You've experienced it to one degree or another. Um, God prompts your heart to serve in a ministry somewhere. He prompts you to lead a Bible study, to... Go and reach out to 
certain people and help them and love them. And so you faithfully obey, you share the gospel, you pray for people, you put all your effort and time and prayer into this. But every time you drive home from that engagement, you're filled with discouragement because you're thinking to yourself, no results again. No results. Listen, I know how hard it can be to experience that. I remember saying to the elders years ago, I don't know what to tell people anymore. It was so different overseas. You know, you, you preach the gospel to people and, and they don't have a church on every corner. There's not a buffet of Christianity that they can choose from. Many of them are hearing it for the first time and their hearts are hungry for it. They almost clamor and climb on top of one another to get to, 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 to Christ. It means something to them, but you know, here in Greenville, everybody's a Christian already. I'll tell you, this is a tough place to minister. It's a tough place to minister. We as a church, as elders, we will pray and say, God, you know, open our eyes, show us some specific place where, where we can go and minister, and we begin, you know, driving around and looking, and we see something, and we go and explore it, and now five other churches have already been there doing stuff. It's very, t- it's very tough. It's very difficult to get up here week after week and preach to people who, who know the Bible inside and out, who've heard a thousand and one sermons on every imaginable topic. You know, it's just like, well, impress me. You know, what you got for me today? I hope it's better than last week. (laughs) So I think we all know what that's like. But I want to remind you of a very important truth this morning. And I put it on the screen so that you could see it. Listen, listen. God has not called us to results. He has called us to faithfulness. If you don't get hold of that and let that get hold of you, you will sooner or later hit rock bottom in your efforts to follow God, and you will become so discouraged, so disillusioned, so despondent that you won't be able to take another step forward. God has not called us to results. He's called us to faithfulness. You just continue to be faithful and let God take care of the results in his own time. Easier said than done. I realize that. I think maybe I have time to share a quick story from when I was a young boy on the mission field in Australia. My father heard about a Russian village that was some distance away, and he went to sort of scope things out and God put a burden on his heart to ask the people of the church there in Australia to pray about giving money above their regular giving in order to buy like a truckload of Russian Bibles and have them shipped to Australia. And so the people gave and they gave and they bought an enormous amount of Russian Bibles and they came in and the day was planned and the, the church got involved and, and everybody uh, drove to this village and they, they started on one end and they went from door to door, every house, every person they saw in the street, they gave a Bible to and they 
tried to share the gospel with. At the end of the day, they were worn out and weary. And my dad drove home with the others. And as he's telling this story, he almost spits the words out. He said, nothing came of it. Nothing. He said, I was embarrassed. I was humiliated that I had asked these poor people to dig deep and to give for something that turned out to be a total waste of time. Now, I was about four or five, I think, at this time. Sometime after this, God called our family to leave Australia and go to South Africa. And we ministered there for many, many years. We came back to America at one point, and we were called back to South Africa. And I don't know how many years went by. Lots of years had gone by. Several decades had gone by. And my father received a call asking if he would come to Australia to speak at a special convention that they were having. And he arrived there. The place was packed. He spoke. And afterwards, he was just standing up front. And people were coming and speaking to him. And he said he looked up and he saw this huge man walking towards him. And he said he could tell immediately from his features that he was Russian. He had the he had the, the bone structure, he was wearing the Russian hat, and this big man came up to him and gripped his hand, and he said in broken English, Brother Pike, you don't know me, but I know you. He said, many years ago, you came to my village and give me Bible. I throw it in drawer and forget it. He said, years later, great trouble come into my life. I remember Bible. I take it out, I read, and I read, and I become Christian. I tell my wife, and she become Christian. Our children, too, become Christians. We begin telling our friends and our neighbors, many people accept Jesus. They ask me to start a church and to be the pastor of the church. We now, after all these years, we have started other churches, and we send missionaries all over the world. My dad said he stood there dumbfounded, dumbfounded. Listen, and I'll tell you, I'm speaking to myself here because I am prone to discouragement. Ask the elders, they know, God bless them. I've quit several times here already. <laughs> That's no joke, I have. Listen. We need to pray for ourselves. We need to pray for one another that as we minister for the Lord, I'm not talking about just being up here in the pulpit. What you do during the week has far greater impact than what I will ever do here on Sundays. Your reach expands much further than mine does. We need to pray that God will move our eyes and our expectations off of seeing results. And simply give us a heart of faithfulness, whether we ever see any results or not. You be faithful. You continue to do what God has called you to do in your life, in your little sphere, wherever that may be. When you teach those kids back there in Sunday school and they're rambunctious and climbing the walls and you leave there with your, your mind frazzled and your hair going in 50 directions and you think, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> Listen. You continue to sow that seed. 
God said his word will not return to him void. It will accomplish what it was sent out to do. There are going to be seeds that will not sprout until after you are gone. You be faithful. You be faithful, whether you see results or not. Well, things got much worse for Jeremiah. It wasn't just that he didn't see results. Now he was being ridiculed. As time went on, Jeremiah's faithfulness continued. People went from simply not listening to now actually turning against him. A couple of examples of this, Jeremiah 18, 18. Then they said, come, let us devise plans against Jeremiah. Let us attack him with the tongue. Whew. That's, those are vicious attacks. I'd rather take a beating from a bat than to deal with the lashes of people's tongues. Come, let us attack him with the tongue and let us not give heed to any of his words. Chapter 20, verse 10, for I heard many mocking. All my acquaintances watched for my stumbling, saying, perhaps he will be deceived. Then we will prevail over him and we will take our revenge on him. They said, you know, we're sick. We're sick of hearing all this talk about God. It's really bothering our conscience. It's, uh, it's interfering with us when we go sin. All this talk about God is really annoying us. We want to shut this guy up once and for all. You know, it's always intrigued me how a person can devote his entire life to traveling the world and lecturing and writing books all to prove that there is no God. Why? I want to say to them, hey, buddy, if there truly is no God, then why does the topic of God bother you so much? Make no mistake, they know God exists. They're just trying to desperately silence their guilty conscience. To some degree, we all encounter this ridicule, this hatred, this opposition that Jeremiah did. Maybe you are the only Christian in your family, or one of a few. Maybe your family members hate to see you coming for Thanksgiving dinner because they know, oh, we're going to have to hear about this Christianity junk again. I'm so sick of it. Maybe that's the opposition you face. Maybe you're the only one married, uh, saved in your marriage. Maybe your spouse is unsaved and you live with this constant heartache. Maybe that's the struggle that you face. Or maybe people at work call you a religious fanatic. And by the way, don't give them reasons to do that, okay? If they do, fine, but, you know, don't, don't give them ammunition. Don't be a jerk. Don't uh, walk in with your 40-pound Schofield Bible and hit people over the head with it. Uh, we need to be people of, of uh, meekness and wisdom and discernment and grace. Maybe it's old friends waiting for you to, to mess up so they can prove that this whole Christian thing wasn't genuine after all. This is why our commitment to Christ must supersede every other relationship in our lives. So that when the choice comes of whether you're going to give in to your family and friends, whether you're going to cave to peer pressure or go with the crowd, 
The choice to stand up for Christ has already been made in your heart. The relationship with Christ must supersede every other relationship. That's where your allegiance must lie. And every other relationship comes second to that. This is why Jesus said things like this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Have you prepared for those times that will come in your life, those times of opposition, of slander, criticism, the times of doubt, the times of attack? Have you already prepared yourself for when those times come, you already know what your answer will be? My allegiance is with Christ. Nothing comes above that. No one, no family member, no love, no no friend, No relationship is going to pull me away from my devotion to Christ. Listen, today is the time to settle that. Not when the heat is turned up. Well, not only did Jeremiah see no results, not only was he ridiculed, but it got worse from there. He was now persecuted by the people. All their comments, all their criticisms, didn't slow Jeremiah down, didn't shut him up. And so they said, well, we're just, we're just going to have to get rid of this guy. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 1. Now Pashur, the son of Emer, the priest, who was also chief governor in the house of the Lord, heard that Jeremiah prophesied these things. Now these things, we don't have time, but you can go back and read chapter 19. Jeremiah prophesied the words God gave him that... <clears throat> Judgment and destruction were coming on the people for their rebellion. Then Pasher struck Jeremiah, or beat him is another translation of that, and put him in the stocks that were in the high gate of Benjamin, which was by the house of the Lord. Here in chapter 20, Jeremiah's faith undergoes now the most serious challenge that he has faced to date. A man named Pasher, can I point this out? The priest of all people? Um, Who was it who gave Jesus the most trouble on his time in this earth? Was it the sinners or was it the religious people? It was the religious people. And it's the same today. Not y'all. Present company excluded, of course. You want to, some of the most hateful things I've ever heard are from people in churches and other pastors. That's the way it goes. Pesher, the priest, the man who should have been cheering Jeremiah on, saying, come on, brother, let's get him. Let's preach the truth. He said, no, I'm sick of hearing this. He'd heard enough, and so he beats Jeremiah. He puts him in the stocks. You know, those old-fashioned wooden planks with holes for your feet and holes for your hands, sometimes a hole for your head. And Jeremiah now finds himself in prison. But the next day, he's released. 
Notice, uh, if you read on, you'll see Jeremiah didn't say, hey, listen, Pasher, I'm so sorry, man. I overstepped my bounds. You know, I'm going to go and I'm going to go and prophesy somewhere else. I'm not going to bother you guys. You know what Jeremiah did? God put another prophecy on his heart, and Jeremiah looks Pasher in the eye, and he boldly says to the man who's just beaten him and just put him in stocks and who could have him killed, he looks him in the eye, and he says, Pasher, your entire family is going to be taken captive to Babylon, and you're all going to die there because of your disobedience to God. That's my kind of fellow right there. Once again, Jeremiah has obeyed God. He, he said what God told him to say, even when he was faced with a life and death situations. But all these hardships, all this opposition have finally brought Jeremiah to a place of exhaustion and discouragement and doubt. Look now at verse 7. <clears throat> I just want you to hear the change in tone from this faithful man of God. He says, oh Lord, you deceived me and I was deceived. You are stronger than I and you have prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me for when I spoke, I cried out. I shouted violence and destruction. That was the message God told him to preach because the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. Then I said, you ready for this? Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. These verses give us an almost embarrassing look behind the scenes into a very private and painful moment in Jeremiah's life. We're, we're witnessing a man at his breaking point. We're witnessing a man who is so defeated, who's so tired, who's so discouraged that he says, I'm done. I'm walking away from God once and for all. When he said, Lord, you've deceived me and I was deceived, he's saying, God, you called me into this. Chapter one, God, you, you called me into this. I didn't choose this. You called me into this. And it hasn't turned out at all like I thought it would. I've done everything you asked me to do. And this is not how I expected my life to go. Some might say this proves that Jeremiah was a failure. But all it actually proves is that Jeremiah was human. He was human. I want to tell you, folks, listen, everyone. That's why be, be very careful of setting people up on pedestals. Be very careful because there's rarely anybody there to catch them when they fall. Everyone who ever serves the Lord, including you, including me, will experience times like this. You go, oh, not me. My faith is too strong. Righto. Just get back with me in about 20 years. Let me know how things are going. We remember Elijah. We studied him way back in 1 Kings. Elijah in 1 Kings 18 had this remarkable victory up on Mount Carmel, God, through him, defeated 450 false prophets of Baal. When Queen Jezebel heard of this, she was already putting the true prophets to death. She sent word to Elijah and said, you are going to be dead by this time tomorrow. Jeremiah has just defeated 450 prophets. And one woman speaks to him and he quivers in fear. 
And the Bible says he ran for his life. He ran all the way out into the desert under a little tree. He laid down there, and this is what he said, 1 Kings 19.4, Elijah prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. The great prophet Elijah reached this point. Paul, Paul reached this point. In 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8, Paul has gone through unspeakable hardships and opposition for his faithfulness to the gospel. And he says this, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. The great apostle Paul reached points in his life when he said, I don't think I can do this anymore. As we look at these moments in the lives of those who follow God, it's so hard to see, and yet there's something beautiful I want you to see in this. I don't, I don't want us to leave and miss this. There's something beautiful we see in every one of these moments of discouragement and doubt and failure. Something we see every time, and that is we see God's <clears throat> We see God's faithfulness in our weakness. God's faithfulness in our weakness. Elijah wanted to give up on God, but God didn't give up on Elijah. Paul wanted to give up on God, but God didn't give up on Paul. Jeremiah wanted to give up on God, but God didn't give up on Jeremiah. And you can be certain of this. God will not give up on you either, even when you feel like giving up. And I can testify to that. Through all your hang-ups and mess-ups, your, your failures and your faults, your sins and your setbacks, through all your discouragement and doubt, you might want to give up on God, but God is never going to give up on you. How do I know that? I know that because of Philippians 1 verse 6. It says this, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. You are kept in his hands. No matter how hard you fall, no matter how far you stray, no matter how discouraged you become, You can always count on God's faithfulness and goodness to you. God is never going to let go of those who are his own. Jeremiah was down, and man, he he was almost out. But just when he thought it was all over, God began to stir something inside of him. And I want us to begin wrapping it up with this. That old fire in Jeremiah that had almost gone out began to burn Once again, I intentionally didn't finish reading Jeremiah 20, verse 9, a moment ago. Let's read that verse again. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. We read that. Here's what we didn't read. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. 
I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. Notice it says, his word was in my heart, like a burning fire. God's word is what pulled Jeremiah back from the brink. God's word was the fire that roared to life in him again. Jeremiah said, I tried shutting it off. I tried holding it back. I tried ignoring it and putting it behind me and leaving it forever. But God had planted his living, powerful word in me, and I simply could not remain silent about it. Listen, when you and I get down and discouraged like Jeremiah did, when we're ready to quit, we don't need a pep talk. We don't need positive thinking. There's nothing wrong with that. We should think on the right things. The one thing we need is to return to the word of God. This is why I tell you again and again and again, open this book for yourself. Open it. Say, I don't know where to start. Tough bananas. Find a place and start. Just start reading. We need to get back to God's word and let it remind us of who we are in Christ, of what he has done for us, how he pulled us up from the mire, how he redeemed us from hell, how he forgave us of our sins, how he has promised us eternal life in heaven with him. How could we ever give up after being reminded of that? How could we ever let anything stop us from moving forward for Christ? Once we've rediscovered that in his word. Listen, I've had times, I've had times I've been so lost. I've been so off track. I I was ready to throw everything in. You know what the problem was? I was not in God's word. And so my own thinking had taken over. And boy, that's scary. The moment I returned to God's word and said, God, please. Please speak to me. That fire began to roar to life again. I remembered who I was. I remembered who he is. I remembered all he's done for me, all that he's brought me through, all that he has promised to me, all that is mine in Christ. And then I stand there like a fool thinking, what a dummy I am. Why would I ever have thought about quitting? It's his word. It's his word in us that empowers us, puts us back on the right track. You know, Peter and John in the early, early church, they were sharing the gospel everywhere they went. And again, the, you know, the religious people of the day were sick of it. And so the Sanhedrin, this, the most powerful Jewish ruling council, called Peter and John in before them. And they threatened them to never again speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Peter and John could have said, hey, listen, church, we better be wise about this. I mean, you hear their threats. They're going to shut us down. So we need to go covert for a while. You know, we need to skirt our way around this. We need to be smart now. You want to know what Peter and John said? Acts 4.10. Acts 4.19, sorry. But Peter and John replied, now listen, these two ragged men are standing before the 70 most powerful men in Israel, sitting up on their high benches, 
Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Acts 5, verse 40, and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded them that they, sh that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. What'd they do? Verse 41, so they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name, and daily in the temple and in every house, they never stopped teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Those are people. Those are people who are empowered by something far greater than just a creed or a doctrine or a belief. They are empowered by the living word of God and by the fire of the Holy Spirit. These bumbling idiots who just a few weeks earlier had denied Christ. Something snapped in them. Something changed. They saw the resurrected Jesus. They never once denied him again. They said, kill me. Kill me. I will not denounce. I will not stop speaking about what I have seen and heard. You tell me, how many people are willing to die for what they know is a lie? Come on now. These simple fishermen were empowered by the word of God and the fire of the Holy Spirit. And no matter what obstacles or threats they faced, no matter how discouraged or defeated they may have felt, they could not hold that fire back. You know, I hate mediocrity. I hate complacency. And I don't use the word hate much, but I, I hate complacency. I would rather speak to someone who looks me in the eye and says, Phil Pike, I really despise you. And I go, great, let's talk about it. You know, you probably got some good points. Then somebody who's all, hey, Phil, you're so great, love you, and then they stab you in the back. Don't be complacent. Don't be complacent with what God has done for you through Christ. Don't be too quick to give up on that when things get hard. I tell you what the church desperately needs in America today are pastors who preach not because they're gifted communicators, not because they're popular, but because they have God's fire in their bones and they cannot hold it back. That's what the church needs. And what the world desperately needs today are Christians, moms and dads, boys and girls, ordinary, everyday people who live for Christ, not because they feel obligated to, not because of some religious routine or tradition, but because they have God's fire in their bones and they cannot hold it back. Our, our country should be totally transformed simply by the number of churches we have in this nation right now. And yet we are sinking. We're, we are going to hell in a hurry in this country because the church and the believers are complacent. May God spark that fire in us once again. Have you been complacent? I've been there. Be honest about it. If you have, you have an opportunity to respond right now. Come before God. Say, God, forgive me. Forgive me for just coasting when your son gave his life for me, 
God, my fire has dwindled down to just a tiny spark. God, would you please remind me of your word? Would you please allow your word to reignite that fire in me? I pray that that will happen for every one of us here this morning. And I pray that we would leave this place and set the world ablaze for Christ. Let's pray. Father, do your work in each heart right now. You know where each person is. You know their struggles. You know those who feel overwhelmed and discouraged and defeated. You know those who are, they've already been contemplating how they can just slip out of this whole Christian scene without causing too much of a stir and just walk away. God, where faith is needed, Give an abundance of faith right now. Where hope is needed, give an abundance of hope. Where restoration and renewal are needed, God, give it in abundance, I pray, right now in this moment. Restore us to where we need to be, God, as individuals and as a church. God, I pray if this church ever slips into complacency and mediocrity and compromise, shut it down. Shut it down. I pray, God, for as long as this church stands, we would be committed to never giving up, never backing down, never watering things down, never playing it safe. God, keep your fire burning brightly in us. And draw others to it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036 Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time, may God bless you as you continue to follow Him. to see